philosophy of many people today, and that's the philosophy that, you know what, it really doesn't matter what you believe just as long as you're sincere. And uh, we started to discuss that, and uh, I contend that it does make a difference what a man believes, because ultimately what we believe is going to show up in our actions. And so it's important that we recognize and understand that our beliefs always will be translated into action of some sort. And uh, if you question that or doubt that, I've got a couple of stories I want to share with you. The first one is a, a nice Jewish girl comes home with her fiancé to introduce him to her parents. And uh, after dinner and after a conversation, the dad wants to get to know this guy a little better, so he takes him into his study and proceeds to a series of questions. He says, uh, so what do you do for a living? The young man said, well, I'm a, a Torah scholar, sir. He said, oh, a Torah scholar, that's quite admirable. He says, but let me ask you a question. Uh, what will you do to provide a nice house for my daughter, one that she's accustomed to? And he said, well, I'll be diligent in my studies, and I'll continue to study, and don't worry, because God will provide for us. He goes, that's great. Uh, what are you going to do to provide a nice engagement ring such as she deserves? How will you provide for that? He said, I will continue to study, and God will obviously provide for us. And the father started to think a little longer. He said, well, what about children? What are you going to do about children? And he said, well, I will continue to study, and God will provide for us and for them as well. And so he continued to ask these questions, and every response by this young man was, don't worry about it, God will provide for us. So later on, when he and his wife were getting ready for bed, his wife said, so how did, how did your meeting go? How was your conversation? And he said, well, he goes, the, the bad news is this. He goes, you know, he doesn't have a job, and it doesn't sound like he has any interest in getting a job. He goes, but the good news is, apparently, he thinks I'm God. Now, for those of you who are still thinking about that one, let me move to the next one. A man runs into a pharmacy, and he asks the druggist, he says, hey, what can you do for the hiccups? And the, and the pharmacist said, hey, I've got just the solution for the hiccups. I'll be right back. So the pharmacist comes back, and he's got his hand behind his back like this, and he goes up to the counter, and he says, boo, and he throws a glass of water in this guy's face. There's water dripping all over this guy's face, and he's just furious. He can't believe it. He said, why did you do that? He goes, look, you don't have hiccups, do you? He says, no, but my wife out in the car still does. <laughs> What's the point? The point is, what we believe will have an effect on our behavior. Ultimately, what we believe will be demonstrated in our actions. And that's why the Apostle Paul was very clear to warn the believers in Thessalonica that uh, they needed to believe, as we've been discussing now for the last couple of times we've been together, but they need, be, need to believe, as we do, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And we need to be very careful and cautious about that which we believe because what we believe will ultimately at some point translate into actions, and we're going to see that. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, in verse 13, and we'll pick up where we left off. But the point of this passage and the point of what we've been discussing is simply this. Faith in a lie will always cause serious consequences. Faith in a lie will always cause serious consequences, while faith in the truth is never misplaced. Think about it. Faith in a lie will always cause serious consequences, while faith in the truth is never and will never be misplaced. And that's the message that Paul's trying to get across to the believers in Thessalonica, and that's the message that God's trying to get across to all of us as we look at this particular passage, starting with verse 13 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We read these words. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And it was for this he called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this, basically there are four responsibilities that we've discussed as, as they pertain to the truth. The first responsibility was a very simple one, and that's this. We're to believe the truth. What God says, we are to believe. I like the bumper sticker. It's as simple as it gets, but from a theological standpoint, it doesn't get any more correct than this, and that is this. God said it, and I believe it, and that's the way it is. 
I mean, that's as simple as you can put it, but it's critical that we understand God said it and I believe it. We're to believe the truth. And Paul reminds these believers of the very essential truth that they are to believe. One is that they are loved by God, that everything that God does is motivated by his love. Uh, we talked about uh, the tragedy of the, of the, the uh, friend of mine whose friend was uh, dying of a terminal disease, and I can't help but think about the situation that we prayed for this morning. And that is that here's a person who seems to be randomly uh, involved in a drive-by shooting, but there is nothing random in God's universe. God's in control of all things. He's either in control of everything or he's in control of nothing. And unfortunately, we live in a world where we like to pick and choose what we believe God's in control of. Oh, God's in control over here, but he's not in control over there. God's in control of your situation, but he's not in control of my situation. I'm in control of my situation. You're not in control of anything. God is in control of everything, and he holds the universe together and sustains it with his very presence and by a simple word. And we need to understand and recognize that the greatest truth of all is that God loves people and he does whatever he seems fit to do to somehow or another to draw them to himself in a faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because without Jesus Christ, as we leave this world, we have nothing and we're separated from God for all of eternity. And if he can use a drive-by random shooting to bring a person to faith in Jesus Christ, whether it's the person who is the victim themselves or the people around their life that is shattered by an incident like this, I don't know about you, but I believe that that's an act of love by God. Because we can have everything this world has to offer, but if we don't have faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and we don't have eternal life that's given to us because of that, and we don't have a place that's secured for us and reserved and, and guarded by the power of God himself in heaven, then we have nothing when we leave this world. And in fact, we have less than that because we have judgment to look forward to. And that's the truth of the word of God. God is motivated by love, and he reminds them as they went through this persecution in Thessalonica that, hey, don't ever forget while you're going through these tough times that God loves you. Brethren, you are loved by God. He says not only are you loved by God, that God shows you from the beginning of the world, from the foundation of the world, before you even existed, before you breathed one breath here on earth, that God chose you and he chose me as we put our faith and trust in Christ, that God knew that from the foundation of the world, and he chose them. He chose them, he called them, he called them, he said, hey, you follow me. He says the same thing to you and I every day. Jesus said it best, take up your cross daily and follow me. That he has called us, he has chosen us, he has delivered us from sin and from judgment, and he wants us to follow him for his purposes and for his glory. He also tells us that we're going to share one day in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That when Jesus Christ comes again and takes, takes up residence here once again on this earth, that God's people will reign with him. And every person that made fun of you or thought you were an idiot or somehow a moron because you believed the simple truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, every person that's been persecuted for that throughout the history of the world, every person that's been made fun of because you believe in Jesus Christ, one day you will share in his glory as we reign with him on this earth. And you know what? Payday one day and all the people that were laughing at you won't be laughing anymore because they'll see that this is real. You know, I saw an interesting bumper sticker and I thought it was pretty funny and that's this. Today, even Darwin believes. <laughs> the second thing that we should look at is this. And that's in 2 Thessalonians 2.15. Our first responsibility is to believe the truth. The second is to guard the truth. He says, so then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings which we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or whether by letter. He's saying that we need to guard the truth. And if you remember those wonderful sports illustrations that I gave, and I know so many of you do, uh, that, you know, we're, we're to basically dig in and hunker down, man, to take a firm stand, to just kind of dig in. And, uh, and I was thinking about that again because it's, it's so obvious to me how many times in life are so many illustrations where, you know what, there are just some things in life that are non-negotiable. And what God is saying is this, we are to guard the truth of the Word of God because God's truth is non-negotiable. God's word is non-negotiable. It isn't up for public survey. It's not up for a popular opinion. It's not up to see whether we want to change anything or not. It is etched in stone for all of eternity. And I don't just mean the Ten Commandments. I mean all of his word is etched in stone forever. And everything else in this world will fade away. But the word of the Lord will remain forever. You know, and isn't that ironic that we've got people who go all over the world in an effort to translate the Bible into languages of the people who don't 
know and have never received the Word of God, and yet we have the Word of God right here in our hands, in our disposal, and yet so many of us have been led away by a lie and have been deceived to leave the truth of the Word of God, the foundation of everything that we believe, and to go off into the philosophies of men and all the vainness that goes along with that and all the opinions that go along with it, and we've got the Word of God, but we're so worried about trying to attract people that we don't use the only thing that can attract people and to save them at the same time. The only thing that will penetrate their life and make a difference is the Word of God, and yet now we want to get creative and come up with fancy ways to reach people. Hey, you know what? The Apostle Paul warned Timothy as a pastor. He said this, you're to guard the truth. He said this to the Thessalonians, you're to guard the truth. You're to hunker down. You're to stand firm. You're to dig in like a defensive lineman at the goal line that says, you're not getting into the end zone. You're not getting past me. I'm not giving up an inch of this ground and dig in and dig in and not move from that. He says you're to stand firm, stand fast, and hold tight. I hate roller coaster rides. I don't know about you. I hate that stuff. I am the biggest wimp that you'd ever see in your life. My kids laugh at me. They think it's hilarious. I hate it. I sit with pregnant women and visit with them while they ride rides. I do. You know, and I, and I pretend like the woman's my wife. You know, it's like, so dear, how you feeling today? You know, we have friends. Anytime we go, people come, they want to go to Disneyland and stuff. They want to ride all the rides. And it's like, I'll sit with the girls and the kids and stuff. I am a really, I'm a wimp, you know, in that area. So just remember. All right, I'll give you that. That's all you're getting, though. And I hate it because, you know, but every time I've ever been on one, you ever been on one of those ones? Uh, we were, uh, where were we? We were, um, oh, in Atlanta, Georgia. They have one of those, uh, like, what was it, Six Flags Over Georgia or whatever. And I know why it was over Georgia because I thought I'd be brave and go on one of those rides. You ever, you know, it's the one ride, and it's not even a roller coaster. It's one of those rides that just take you up, kind of like a parachute ride. They just take you way up there, you know, and you, and you can see six states from up there. Which is really interesting, and I'm, you know, and I, I, nah, I'm not real concerned about it, but I thought about it, and the Lord knows when, when he comes back and gathers up his people in the rapture, I, I, you know, I don't know how he's going to pull it off, and I'm going to be screaming all the way. <laughs> but anyway, that's a whole different story. So, hey, we're, we're, we're up there, and, and we're on this thing, right? And I'm trying to be cool, and I got Ryan with me, and he's a lot smaller than I was, so I should have been a lot more brave than he is. So we're, we're up there, and the thing gets stuck. And I'm thinking, you know, this isn't going to take long because I've watched it in action. You go up, you're there for about three seconds, and they drop you. So, okay, that's not that bad. We get up. I'm going 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, 1,497. You need to hold on to that and hang on to it because it's the only life support that you have. And I thought, man, isn't that true? But so many of us, we, you know, it's like we, you know, we're all thrill riders. Well, you know, you see those people sitting next to you and they go like this. Yeah! I'm like, no, I'm hanging on. You know, so it's like we got a world full of people that like, they just throw up their hands and go, yeah, let's just go for a ride and see where it goes. And God's word says, no, let's just hang tight and I'll take you where you need to go. And there's a big difference between the two. Because look what he does. If you've got your Bibles, turn back to uh, first, uh, 2 Timothy for a second. Or, and 2 Timothy, turn to 2 Timothy. Because what's interesting to me is, is, is particularly, you know, teachers, pastors, preachers uh, have a higher accountability to God. They really do. They have a tremendous accountability to God to make sure they represent the truth of the Word of God. Now, all of us have a responsibility to guard the truth, but what's really been impressed upon my heart is this. If I am going to stand here and represent God and the truth of the Word of God, God is saying, you better make sure you always stick to the truth, that you guard the truth. Why? Because there's so much deception in the world that the greatest source of deception can take place in pulpits across the world. People who claim to represent biblical truth, but you know what? Have no godliness whatsoever. Like the illustration I gave two weeks ago about the Jewish man, or the guy who was a pastor for 20 years, found out he was Jewish uh, from a heritage standpoint, and, and rejected the, the deity of Jesus Christ, and he embraced his heritage. Now the question I have for you is this. What was that guy preaching for 20 years? That guy was never a believer and he stood in the pulpit and he opened the Bible and he taught from the Word of God. What did he teach? Hey, I don't know if it's going to burst anybody's bubble or not, but you know what? Just because somebody stands in front of you and preaches and teaches and opens the Bible, that doesn't even mean they know the Lord. That's a pretty scary thought. 
But the truth of the Word of God is that, you know what, there are a whole bunch of people that are out there representing the things of God that don't even know God. They've never come into a relationship with God. They've never bowed their knee to Jesus Christ and accepted Him for the forgiveness of their sins. They have no, they have no passion for the Word of God because they don't have the Spirit of God living within them that strikes that passion in their heart. There's a whole bunch of dead people preaching a dead message, and that's why you've got a bunch of dead churches that aren't doing anything to make an impact on the kingdom of God. Why? Because they're going through the motions. It's religion time. It's our hour for God time. And then we go about our lives doing what we want to do the rest of the week, come back and think somehow God's pleased, or if anything, God's not mocked by that. Jesus said it best. He said to the Pharisees, the religious people, he says, man, you are just getting me sick. You're all whitewashed on the outside, just doing and saying all the right things, but you know what? Your heart's so far from me, you don't even know who I am. And so what he was saying to Timothy, as he wrote these letters to him, if you look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 in front of you, look at verses 13, uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse, no, I'm sorry, chapter 1. Getting all wound up here. Verse 13 and 14, he says this, retain the standard of sound words. There's, a, there's again that same word, retain it, hang on to it, stand fast. Hold tight. Don't let it go. Don't forget what your calling is. Don't forget what you're supposed to be doing. He says, retain the standard of sound words which you'd heard from me and the faith and the love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Speaking of the truth of the Word of God, particularly that of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that man can find forgiveness with God if he just believe what God says about the person and the work of Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that He died for our sins, that He rose from the dead according to the Word of God, by the way. That if we believe Him and trust Him, that we've been given the right to be called children of God to those who believe in His name. He says, hang on to that. Don't ever let go of that. In the uh, uh, same chapter, verse 15, he says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the Word of truth. I like that he's saying, hey, you want to be a pastor that's pleasing to God? You want to be a teacher that's pleasing to God? You want to be a spokesman for God that's pleasing to God? He says, then you be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. He says, but avoid worldly chatter. You see the contrast? Isn't that always the way it is? God's truth versus worldly chatter. God's truth versus everybody's opinion. God's truth versus what other people think. What, who cares what other people think and who cares what other people believe when we already got the truth and we know what God thinks and that's all that we need to know and that's enough to deal with in and of itself. Can you imagine? I know what God thinks and what God expects of me and oh, I, you know, it's hard sometimes to, to worry about what you think and what you expect. I got my hands full just doing what God wants me to do. But you know what's interesting about that? If I do what God wants me to do, then my wife doesn't have to tell me what to do. My kids don't have to tell me what to do. My employees don't have to tell me what to do. Uh, if you work for someone, your employer doesn't have to tell you what to do because you're living to please God. You already know what to do. And if you're doing the right thing, then everybody else is going to benefit from it anyway. So I don't have to worry about you telling me what to do because if I'm approved by God and doing what God's called me to do, I'm all right in God's sight. And that's all that matters anyway. So he goes on and says, but avoid worldly chatter. See what he says? And it will lead to further ungodliness. The consequences of believing a lie is that it will lead to further ungodliness. The consequences of believing a lie is that we will end up further and further away from truth. And since God is truth, we will end up further and further away from him. He says, and all their talk is like gangrene. Among them, Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth saying that the resurrection has already taken place and they're upsetting people because of it and they were making up stuff. They had their own opinion and God, that didn't happen. It's not what happened. In chapter 3, read it sometime, the whole chapter, which is interesting because it's all summarized in maybe a passage or a scripture or a verse that some of us have memorized and that's all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be uh, adequately equipped to do all good work. It's the culmination of the whole chapter that has to do with what? Guarding the truth of the Word of God and staying in the Word of God and hanging on to the Word of God and standing fast on the Word of God and not negotiating. If God said it, I believe it, and that's the way it is. And we need to guard all that. But what's interesting, if you look at chapter 4, look what he says. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word of God. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves. The word literally means they will, pile up, they will pile up and pile. They will pile upon pile upon pile. They'll just pile up teachers. They'll pile them up so that they will hear according to what they want to hear. They want to have, you know, we, we've got this tendency where we want to hear what we want to hear and we'll find the right person to tell us what we want to hear. And literally it says that they'll have big old heaps and piles of them. What's fascinating, you go back to this thing about great patience and instruction. I mentioned to you last week about the guy who is uh, in a uh, baseball chapel program that's uh, working with one of the uh, minor league teams that I'm responsible for. And I called him and said, hey, you know, we need to discuss this because you sent this statement of faith back and you crossed out a couple of critical words and I need to understand exactly what you're thinking. And so he said that, you know, we talked about it being a, the, the Bible uh, being infallible or without error. He had to parenthesize that. And so I asked him, well, what do you mean by the, the Bible is, is uh, you think that there's error in the Bible, that somewhere in this Bible there's mistakes? He said, oh, no, I don't mean that. I meant that uh, in the original autographs, when, when God first gave them to the man, uh, they were infallible then, and there's a possibility of translation errors and things like that. He said, okay, I, I'll give you that. We're splitting hairs, but I'm going to ask you a question that's real important to me so that I know when you're dealing with people that come in, you're in contact with you through baseball program, and that's this. Can you think of any errors right now or mistakes that trouble you about what you find in the Bible that we can talk about and get to the bottom of? No. I can't think of any. So, okay, so this is that great patience and instruction part. I said, fine, let's move on to the next one. I, you know, we, we resolved that one. But the next one was where he crossed out the, that the Bible is the complete revelation of God for man, for, the, for salvation and everything that we need to know. And he had crossed it out and put a revelation of God. I said, well, you know, what are you talking about? He said, well, I don't believe that the Bible is the only way that God reveals himself to man. I said, okay, how do you believe that God reveals himself to man? He said, well, God reveals himself in creation. I said, I believe that. And I believe the Bible also teaches us that God reveals himself in creation. Romans chapter 1, read it. Or any of the Psalms, pick them out. Um, and he said, okay, good. And I said, well, what else were we talking about here? Well, I believe that, you know, that God reveals himself through Jesus Christ. I said, I agree with you. Hebrews chapter 1 says God's last revelation, his greatest revelation to man, is that Jesus Christ is the embodiment of everything that God wants us to know about God, about salvation, about forgiveness of sin, about the future, is all found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I, I agree with you. In fact, it is, Jesus is, and, 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 and in English it loses a little bit, but basically in the Hebrew, or it was not even the Hebrew, but in the Aramaic or the Greek, it meant this, Jesus Christ, message. That's him. He is the message of God. So I agree with you. And so all of a sudden, as we begin to talk these things through, it becomes a matter of or a question of, well, wait a minute, what did you really mean when you crossed things thing out? And I don't want to jump to conclusions, but the question I had for him is this. What if someone comes to you and he says, last night, God revealed to me such and such. God revealed this to me. He said, how would you respond to what he said God revealed? And that's really the issue. And he couldn't grasp that yet. So we went through a, little, a couple more exercises. And finally, it was like, well, how are you going to respond to that? And then it dawned on him. It was like a light clicked on. He said, don't you understand that the Word of God is the revelation of God for man. Everything we need to know about God is found in His Word. And so when someone comes to me and says, God revealed something to me, the first place I go to check that revelation to see if it's from God is from the very Word of God Himself. And if what that person says does not contradict with the Word of God in any way, then we say God may have revealed something to you because God wants to work a certain way in your life, but He's not going to work in your life and contradict Himself. We have got to stand firm. We've got to hold tight. We have got to guard the truth of the Word of God because that's all that we're given. We're to guard the truth and hold fast to the truth of the Word of God. And you say, well, why, why does God use such strong word pictures? You know, to dig in, to hold on for life. Uh, you know, if you stop and think about what we're talking about, I'll tell you why. Because faith in a lie will always have serious consequences. It will always have serious consequences. I know some people are saying, but what if I believe, what if what I believe is 99.9% .9 true? That's a good point. 
Someone gave me a little statistical worksheet on, the title of it is, Why 99.9% Just Won't Do. It says, what does 99.9% quality mean? It says, it means that you will have one hour of unsafe drinking water every month. There'll be two unsafe landings per day at Chicago's O'Hare Airport. There'll be 16,000 pieces of mail lost by the U.S. Postal Service every hour. By the way, that would be an improvement because they lose... <laughs> no, seriously. I'm serious, though. They lose 2%. That would mean 20,000 incorrect drug prescriptions given out every year. 500 incorrect surgical operations per week. 50 newborn babies dropped at birth by doctors every day. 22,000 checks deducted from the wrong bank account every hour. 32,000 missed heartbeats per person per year. That doesn't sound good to me. <laughs> What's the point? The point is very simple. There are some areas in life where there is no margin for error. Think about it. There are some areas of life where there is no room for a mistake. Don't you think for a moment that your relationship with God would fall into that category? I don't know about you, but I want to make sure what I believe is truth. I don't know about you, but if I'm putting all my faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, and I'm banking on Him get, reserving a place for me in heaven, and I'm banking on Him being the one who is able to stand before God and say, I took His judgment for Him, I don't know about you, but I want to make sure that that's truth before I put all my faith and trust in Him. Fortunately, we know that it's truth because God has given us ample evidence to examine, to look at, to see that it's true. And the greatest evidence that God has given man is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. 500 witnesses saw it. He walked for 40 days on the face of the earth. This world was turned upside down because of it. And the world's never been the same ever since. I believe that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh who died for my sins and rose from the dead because the evidence supports it very strongly. Not only that, but when I gave my life to Him, when I put my trust and faith in Him, and it'll be 20 years ago tomorrow... My life has never been the same since. I don't know about you, but if I were you, I'd seriously consider what you believe and think about whether or not it's the truth. Because belief in a lie will have serious consequences. I ask people all the time, very simple question, that's this. What if what God says about Jesus Christ is true? What if Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? What if Jesus Christ is the only way for forgiveness? What if you can't work your way into heaven? Then what are you going to do? And you know what? And they walk away because they know in their heart because God's created every man with a desire to know the truth. They know that they can believe whatever they want to believe. But you know what? The bottom line all comes back to this. Look at 2 Thessalonians again and look at chapter 2. Uh, chapter two and this is really what it comes down to. And whether you believe it or not, I don't really care because God says it and it's truth. And here's what God has to say. He says, this is why people don't believe. He says in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, in verse 10, he says this, they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. They didn't believe what God has to say. They didn't believe His truth. They didn't believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but through Him. They didn't believe any of that. He says, and for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false. At some point, you can keep rejecting the Lord until He finally says, fine, then you believe whatever you want to believe, and you're going to believe the lie. And if you believe the lie, it's going to have serious consequences. But belief in the truth will never be misplaced. And He goes on, He says this, and the reason that it's false is that in order that they may all be judged who did not believe the truth, but look what He says, but they took pleasure in wickedness. They took pleasure in doing what's wrong before God. Hey, you know what? Why do people say, I'm not interested in believing in Jesus Christ? I'll tell you why. According to the Word of God, here's what God says. Because they're more interested in living to please themselves and doing what's wrong before God because they're having fun or because it's pleasurable or because God doesn't cramp their style or because they can do what they want to do. And God knows our heart. He knows the reason we reject His forgiveness in Christ is because we simply want to continue doing our own thing. 
And that's the rebellion of God. I mean, it's the rebellion of man to God from the very beginning. I don't have, I don't need, I don't need to believe this. Why? Because I want to keep doing what I want to do. I don't want to believe what this says in here because it says right there that I'm guilty before God. And I don't want to believe that my lifestyle is wrong before God. And in fact, I can make sure that it's politically correct if I can get enough of us together and we vote on it, we'll all form even our own church and say that we can all perform a certain type of behavior or live a certain type of life. Okay, why? Because, hey, we think it's okay. And if we can surround ourselves with enough people that say we're okay, we start to believe it. And eventually we believe it and we're deluded by the lie and God just turns us over to that delusion and that influence and we're living in the middle of all of it and you look at people and say, how can they believe that? Here's how they can believe it because they're so confused. They believe the lie all their life because they've wanted to live it. And God said, fine, I confronted you with the truth. You didn't want to believe the truth. So now you can reap the consequences of it. It's as simple as it gets. It doesn't get any simpler than that. It amazes me how many people think there are going to be people in hell because God's not a God of love. You don't understand what God says. God is love. God wants to reach every person with the truth of the gospel and forgiveness in Christ. God wants every human being to go to heaven. God wants every human being to have fellowship with him. But the reality of all of it is that he also knows the heart of man. And man is wicked and rebellious against God. And man wants to do what he wants to do. And therefore, there's, going to be, there's no one ever going to be in hell that isn't there because they chose to be there. And some of us choose mockingly and say, hey, well, at least I'll be there with all my friends and we'll be having a party. Oh, really? Then you haven't read the truth of the Word of God because I don't read any passage or, or chapter where there's partying going on in hell. There's weeping. There's mourning. There's gnashing of teeth. There's unbelievable guilt and grief about what they could have had because they know what they lost out on. There's punishment. There's separation from God. There's separation from loved ones who have believed in Christ and are now will be in heaven. That's what I read in the Bible, and that's the truth. And you know what? If you believe that truth, that'll never be misplaced. And so he says we're to guard the truth. He also go, goes on and tells us, which is natural, that we're to practice the truth. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. He says, May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us by His grace, gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. It's not enough to believe the truth and to guard it. We must also practice it. Say, so don't say you believe something if you don't practice it. You know, if we hear the words but we don't, if we hear the word but we don't obey it, uh, then we're fooling ourselves. You may think you have a relationship with God, but you know what? The only way I know for sure I have a relationship with God is Jesus said it best. If you love me, you're going to obey my commandments. And when they're revealed to you in the Word of God, then I don't have any choice but to say, you know what? I'm doing this. I should be doing that. I need to start doing that. I'm doing the wrong thing. I need to start doing the right thing. If I believe that, I'm going to live my life accordingly because what I really believe in my heart is going to be demonstrated in my life. Words are cheap, folks. You know that. I mean, how many gal hasn't heard some guy say to him, hey, baby, you know I love you? Yeah, well, if you love me, demonstrate it. Talk is cheap. It's cheap. Anybody can say I love you. But love has to be demonstrated. I like this. Oh, to get something now, let me just share this with you real quick because I, I got a lot of stuff I need to do yet. But um, there's an article in the paper yesterday. Yesterday was Valentine's Day. For those of you guys who don't know it, uh, you didn't know it yesterday, you know it today. Um, Yesterday was Valentine's Day, and uh, Valentine's Day is that, you know, special day that uh, St. Valentine, the patron saint of Hallmark, um, <laughs> came up with at some point. But anyway, I got this little article here that's, that may be of some comfort to some of you out there, and, and that's this. Uh, the, the article was entitled, the couple, th This Couple Has No Need for Cupid. In 80 years of marriage, Paul and Mary Onessi haven't celebrated a single Valentine's Day. Now, I'm glancing through the paper, and that caught my attention. Because <laughs> I think I may have found my hero. <laughs> Niagara Falls, New York. says, Paul and Mario Nessie's marriage has survived two world wars, the Great Depression, and perhaps more astoundingly, 80 years of uncelebrated Valentine's Days. No flowers, no boxes of chocolates, no heart-shaped candies, not even a romantic picnic at the falls that make their hometown America's honeymoon capital. They've been married 80 years. And the guys missed 80 Valentine's Days. Preach it, brother. <laughs> and as I read through the article, what's kind of fascinating about it is this. What's the point? I didn't forget Valentine's Day. What's the point? 
Here's the point. I know a lot of guys that make a big deal about Valentine's Day for a year or two or three. Then they're not even interested in being married anymore. Isn't that interesting? Now, here's a guy that didn't make a big deal about Valentine's Day, but he demonstrated he loved his wife. And you know how I know that? Because he's still with her 80 years later. There's a picture of him in here. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Bottom line is this. Talk is cheap. You love somebody, you'll be there for them. You love them, you'll make time for them. Oh, you know I'm important. You know you're important to me, honey. Then be there for her, be there for him, be there for your kids. See, talk is cheap. Actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. What's the point? The point is, there's a whole bunch of people running around saying how much they love God and how important He is in their life. And you know what? There's no actions backing it up. They say the right things to the right people. Let me tell you something. Actions speak louder than words. And what he's doing is, he goes on and he talks about the fact that he's saying, hey, there's two things that he's talking about here. Two important desires that the Apostle Paul had for these believers and God has for all of us. And he says this, number one, that God would encourage your hearts and number two, that He would strengthen you in every good deed and word. That He would encourage our hearts. You know, the Apostle Paul throughout his letters continued to encourage the believers in Thessalonica. He encouraged them as a father would his children. He encouraged them by sending Timothy to pick up their spirits when they were down. He encouraged them uh, by telling them to live to please God and don't worry about what's going on around you because God is the only one you're accountable to. He encouraged them to grow in their love towards one another during difficult times. He encouraged them by teaching them about the rapture when they were concerned about uh, what happens to people after they die. He encouraged them by teaching them the truth of the Word of God about the day of the Lord when people were running around telling them this must be the great day of God's wrath. He encouraged them by leading them back to the truth of the Word of God. Why did he do that? It's obvious because it's the Word of God that will encourage people and pick people up. It's the Word of God that's truth and the truth sets us free from all the garbage of the world that we live in and all the personal entrappings that we struggle with in our own life. He took them back to the Word of God as a source of encouragement. We need to do the same thing. You know, we got people and you say, well, we don't know. How are we going to get people to come to church? We have to make them feel good. We have to make them feel comfortable. We have to entertain them. No, you don't. We have to present to them the truth of the Word of God and allow God's Word to go forth and encourage them where they need to be encouraged and afflict them where the, in, their, in their comfort zone where it's wrong before God. That's it right here. The Word of God is a sword of God. It's a sword of the Spirit and it convicts the hearts and the souls and separates the thoughts and the intentions and everything that's going on in a person's life. It cuts through all of it. He's saying that, that is his, he wants you to practice the truth by encouraging one another. What's interesting is we go through this, he prayed that God might also strengthen them or establish them is the word. Why? Why? What does it mean to be established? Here's what I believe. A child must be taught to stand before you can teach your child to walk or run. You follow that? A child has to learn to stand before that child will walk or run. And the word established is basically that, saying, you know what? We need to be established or strengthened in what we believe. We need to know what we believe in order, why? That we may then begin to walk according to the manner in which we've been called, so that we will run with endurance the race that is set before us. I can't walk and I can't run in my faith until I'm able to stand firm and know what I believe and why I believe it. That's what he's talking about, to establish. Now the question is, how does God do that? Here's how he does it. He sends people into other people's lives to help establish them or strengthen them in the truth. The best thing that ever happened to me, I just mentioned 20 years tomorrow is going to be my birthday spiritually when I gave my life to Christ. 20 years. You know the best thing that ever happened to me 20 years ago when I said, you know, I'm not even sure about any of this, but, but I know that I need to be forgiven and I know that if, if Jesus died for me, then I want to believe that the best of my ability, God. You know, hey, I, I believe that. The best thing that happened to me after that was that I sat down with a guy, one-on-one, and we opened up the Bible, and I took home a little notebook, and I worked on homework, and I read Scripture, and I filled in the blanks, 
And I went back and I met with him and we studied the Bible again and we prayed together and we memorized verses together. Can you imagine the verses I memorized 20 years ago? Guess what? I still know those. I haven't forgot those. We were accountable to each other. And you know what? My life changed drastically, not just because I gave my life to the Lord, which it would do automatically, but also more importantly, because I became established in my faith. I know what I believe. I know why I believe it. And nothing's going to send me, you know, into a tizzy. No question is going to cause me some great alarm that, gee, is everything I believe for 20 years false? No letter or no birth certificate is going to come in the mail and say, oh, you know what? I'm Jewish now. I'm going to reject everything I believe for 20 years. What is that guy, a, a lunatic? What, is he an idiot? He's a, I mean, what is he thinking? I don't care what comes in the mail. I know this. I surpa- everything is rubbish compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and Him crucified. Man, I don't care what I find out about my past. It doesn't matter anymore. Why? If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature anyway. Old things pass away, all things become new. The point that I'm trying to make is this. I want to ask you a question. I want you to raise your hand. I want you to be truthful. How many of you have sat down one-on-one with either a man or a woman and have gotten grounded or firmly established in your faith? Let me see your hands. And don't lie to me and don't tell me it was well, we got together because a lot of times what happens is this. You end up getting together and it becomes social time. You end up getting together and you end up putting everything aside that you're supposed to be getting together to talk about and it just becomes visiting time. I mean where you got together and you did your homework and you filled out the Bible study and you went back and you checked the Word of God and you memorized verses and you prayed about things and you were accountable. Let me see your hands. And you know what? Let me, let me challenge you to think about this. And I'll bet you this, that the people who raise their hands are running with endurance today and they're making a difference in the kingdom of God. Now, I don't mean to indict the rest of you, but I want to challenge the rest of you and here's what I want to challenge you to do. Armin's going to be sitting at that back table where the baby's sitting right there. He's going to be sitting right there. He's a little taller than the baby. <laughs> so you'll know. The baby has blue on. Armin's got like, what is that? Uh, like a brownish shade on today. Okay, he's going to be back there. And what I want you to do, and I want you to think about this very seriously, and I want you to consider this, but I want those who raise their hands, I want you, if you're available, to meet with somebody who's younger in the faith. And I don't care what your age is. Because the best thing that ever happened to me is not only meet with that guy, but meet with countless numbers of guys after that, that I was able to sit down and do the same thing for them that somebody took the time to do for me. And I want to challenge you to go back to the back on your way out to the right, stay out of the tape line to the left, and if you want to lead another person in a Bible study and be available to do it. Some of you think, but I don't know how to do that. Hey, well, that was a good time to start. And, and uh, we'll, I'll come up with all the material for you. I'll get everything that you need. I'll be available to help you out. But if you want to do that, and I don't care if you're a man, a woman, or a young person, it doesn't matter to me. You go back there and you sign up. Yeah, I want to lead another person through a Bible study so I can help establish them in their faith. And if you've never done it and you've never been involved and you want somebody else to do that because right now you're so confused. If somebody asks you a question about the Bible, you feel like a moron. You can't answer it and you don't even know what you believe. Although you do know you've given your life to the Lord. But other than that, you don't really know anything else. Hey, then I challenge you. Get in that line. Say, I want to be involved in that. I want to meet with somebody. I want to be established in my faith so I can walk in a manner worthy of my calling, so I can run with endurance the road that's set before me. You go back, you sign up, and, and we'll take care of everything from there. Trust me, I'll get a hold of you, we'll, we'll, we'll get together, and you know what? It's going to change your life forever as far as your relationship with the Lord. You know what? We need to practice the truth. We need to practice the truth. That's the best thing that can ever happen to any of us. Jesus Christ said it best. We're to go into all the world, and as we're going, we're to make disciples. We're to help people know what they believe and why they believe it. And the only way we can do that is we've got to get them firmly rooted, standing fast and holding tight to the truth of the Word of God. Isn't that awesome? Man, that's exciting stuff. We need to encourage each other. We need to establish one another in the faith so we can make a difference in the world while we're still here. It's interesting. I had that old southern preacher that, uh, that I ran into when I was uh, in Atlanta with the Rams and, and uh, he was doing a chapel for us. And, I, and, and this guy, I love this guy, and, and there's only certain things, that certain phrases that can be captured by certain people. But his favorite phrase, and he always would do this, anytime that I met him, anytime he spoke, he'd always do this, he'd have his Bible open, he'd teach from the Bible, and he'd always come back to this. He said, gentlemen, men, you better make sure the tongue of your mouth and the tongue of your shoe are going in the same direction. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Don't you think? That's good stuff. Because there are a whole bunch of us that our mouth is saying one thing and our feet are saying something totally different. 
a whole bunch of us that say we love the Lord, a whole bunch of us saying that, you know, he's the most important person in our life, a whole bunch of us saying a whole bunch of things. Then we go to work and we live like hell all week long and people look at us and say, I don't understand. I don't understand. And then some of us are even, even arrogant enough to say, but it doesn't really matter how you live because it's by grace we've been saved. How stupid. The Romans thought that in chapter 6 of Romans. What shall we say? Shall we continue to sin so that God's grace would increase in my life? May it never be. How can we who have died to sin continue to live in it? Memorize that verse 20 years ago. Never changes. Always stays the same. Because it's the truth of the Word of God. Number four, and finally this. We have a responsibility to share the truth. You like that? Finally. Some of you have been thinking, man, finally, this guy's been going on for three weeks about the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Well, now we're down to finally. Finally, here it is. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. I like what he says here. Basically what he's saying is this. There's a sequence here. If I believe the truth and I guard the truth, hey, you know, I mean, ultimately as we go down through it, I believe it, I guard it, and and I'm going to end up sharing it. If I'm living it, I'm going to share it. I mean, the greatest testimony of all came from Lazarus. Read it sometime in John chapter 12. It's amazing testimony. Basically, all they did was see this dead guy walking around. And they were, what happened to you? Isn't that amazing? You take a guy who's dead and then shows up for work three days later, and everyone's talking about how their weekend was, Lazarus could top them all. Man, I had a weekend like you're not going to believe. Hey, what happened to you? I was dead, now I'm alive. Hey, when people see your life, what do they ask? I know people that know me from before. What in the world happened to him? And now that you know, I'm a lot more bold about sharing it, then no one, they don't ask anymore. Because, you know how it is, they all start talking to each other and it's like, don't ask. Don't ask. But that's alright. Because if we're living it, we're going to share it. And when we're sharing it, people are going to want to know. And they're going to want to find out, what in the world happened to you? What changed your life? Why are you so different than you used to be? Hey, all I can tell you is this. I believed in Jesus Christ, and my life's not been the same since. And I know whom I believe in, and I know what I believe, and I know that which I've given him. He will protect it under the day that he returns. You know what? Here's the problem. Let me just close on this, and let me get this off my chest, maybe once and for all, but probably not. Too much of the work in Christian churches today is done in the power and in the strength and in the imagination and the creativity of human beings. Too much of it. Way too much of it. We take too many surveys and we do too many polls. We're too interested in how, how did this church get to be so big? Let's take a survey and let's do a poll and we want to be big, so let's try to do what they did. There's too much stuff going on in Christianity today that has to do with surveys and opinions and polls and man's philosophy and man's opinions. I am so sick of it because it is so non-biblical. God will cause growth. When His Word goes out, God will cause growth that is God-ordained and God-caused. And what I mean by that is this. There's a whole bunch of things being passed off today as growth, but you know what? There may be no spiritual depth whatsoever. Don't be deceived by what you see. God causes growth in the hearts of human beings, and when human beings are obedient to the voice of God and the Word of God, then God will use that person to go out and make a difference in the world. And if He can do it with a collective group of people, then praise God, and that may be the reason for the growth. But don't ever misinterpret or, or, or misunderstand that because you see a lot of stuff going on, that that means that God's involved in it. Because if, if that was true, then every cult in the world God must be involved in or be behind, and that's nonsense, and we know that's not true. 
The fastest growing church in, in America or in the world today is the Mormon church. And I'll guarantee you that the God is not involved in it because they deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They deny the essentials of the gospel. And are they growing? Absolutely. Leaps and bounds. They're adding members all the time. But does that mean that God's causing that growth? No. Who's causing it? Man's causing it. Man can cause growth. We've all seen businesses. We read about it all the time, how a guy takes an idea and works real hard, and, and, and it causes growth. Don't misunderstand. Growth isn't to be a sign of whether God's in something or not. We need to be very careful, and that's why I said, hey, you know what? We need to pray that we'll be delivered from the evil one and that the message of the Lord would be spread rapidly and be honored, that we wouldn't stray from the truth of the Word of God. You know, I'm convinced of this. If you can explain what's going on, then God's not involved. I've become convinced of that. The longer I live and the longer I walk with God, the more I'm convinced of this. If a human being can explain what's going on, then God's not in it. Because I don't know about you, but I read all through the Bible, man, when God was doing miraculous things, when God's changing hearts and lives, when stuff's going on, you know how human beings usually respond to it? Huh? What's going on? And then they form committees to try to dissect it and analyze it. What's going on? How's that happening? How can we do the same thing? Oh, gee, you know what? Stop wasting so much time and just spread the truth of the Word of God. Man, that's what we need. That's all that we need. That's it. Share the truth of the Word of God. And you know what will happen? And God will cause whatever growth He wants to take place. And you know what else will happen? And this is the most important thing of all. When God causes growth, when God causes change, then God gets all the glory. No man, no committee, no group of people. God gets all the glory. You know, I'm convinced that you are here because God's involved in it. I'm convinced that you come because the Word of God goes out. This isn't me. It's never been me. And I realize that every time I walk in, what an honor it is to see people that want to come and hear the truth of the Word of God. Because this isn't about me. This is about the truth of the Word of God. And every time I walk in and see people that come in to see it, I'm in awe that you have that desire to learn and trust and understand the truth of the Word of God. If we could explain it, then God's not in it. And we need to stay focused on the truth of the Word of God. I don't know about you, but I'm convinced of this. It does make a difference what a man believes. And belief in a lie will always have serious consequences, but belief in the truth will never be misplaced. It's time that you and I become men and women who believe in the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth of the Word of God. And let's let God have all the glory. Don't forget, sign up at that table if you want to get serious in your walk with God. Father, thank you for this time to be together. We just thank you for the truth of your Word. May we guard it, may we protect it, may we hang on for dear life because in it you say that your Word gives us life. Your Word gives us sustenance. Your Word gives us, uh, it's the living water. It's bread for, for, for nourishment. It's everything that you've illustrated it to be and even more. God, we just thank you. We just pray that we would understand that we need to become people who believe the truth, who guard the truth, who practice the truth, and finally who share the truth with those around us who are led astray by the lies of this world. And God, we just praise you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen.